This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we got hockey problems in the Steel City and not just with the Penguins. The Wizards get blown out and Russell Westbrook blows up. Should high school coaches get year-round contracts? And I got to tell you something. All of this losing from the teams that we cover stinks. So we'll talk about that and much more coming up in the next two hours uh, of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another Essential Work Day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush or and slash or uh, my Twitter page at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. And anytime you want, uh, drop us a line. Send us a message. Got a question, a comment, an opinion on anything we talk about. Or if you want to start your own uh, string of discussion about something, whatever. Let's chat. Uh, Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamon, 301-759-2628. And of course, do not forget about our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials and go back and listen to uh, whatever you may have missed uh, whenever. It's all there just for you. I can't get comfortable. I cannot get comfortable. I hate when this happens. I can't get comfortable. My seat is not at the right height. Nothing in this studio is at the right height. I don't know who designed it. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to do it this way. And if you ever work, if you work at a desk for an extended period of time, you understand how important it is to have like just the right height of everything. Like everything's got to be in front of you. It's so low the the table with with the the board and it's so it sits so low to the ground. That if my chair is too high, then I'm constantly like hunching over, right? And reaching down to hit everything. But if I lower my chair to the level of the table, then I feel like I'm sitting in like a grade school chair. Like my knees are high. You know what I mean? It's too low. Nothing here is perfect. And I can't get comfortable. Plus, I'm wearing my bad pair of jeans. I essentially have two pair of jeans I wear. That's it. Because I have a washing machine, and I wash and repeat. One pair, very comfortable. The pair I have on today, I can't stand. They're too, I don't know. They're just, I don't know. They're just not comfortable at all. They're stiff. They're rigid. I already told you I'm hunched over in the big chair here. Anyway, enough of that. (laughs) Let's rock around the region. I want to rock. 
we start with the Stanley Cup playoffs where the Penguins' season is over. Behind the outer net, three, two, one, the horn sounds, and the New York Islanders beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 5-3 in game six. They take the series in six. They have their first Coliseum clincher in 28 years, and they are on to round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs to battle the Boston Bruins. The call... Uh, if you couldn't tell, that was from the Islanders radio network. 5-3, the final. Islanders take the series in six games to hand the Penguins their third straight first-round exit. New York scored three goals in two minutes and 59 seconds in the second period to take the lead, a lead that they never gave up. Jeff Carter, Jason Zucker, and Jake Gensel had goals for Pittsburgh. Much more on this game and this team uh, later on in the show. Uh, something tells me big changes are coming in the Berg. In the NBA playoffs, the 76ers weren't messing around with the Wizards in game two of their first round series. Down the four, Simmons getting by Neto. Plays it back to Bias, faking on Westbrook. Around one man, jumps it back to Benny. Simmons finds a gap to Embiid. Three-point shot in the air. It's gone. Embiid with his third three. And the Sixers are blowing out the Washington Wizards. The call on uh, 70, that's not 79, 97-5, the Fanatic. 120-95, the final as the Sixers blow out the Wizards to take a 2-0 lead in their series. Uh, Bradley Beal had 33 points for Washington. Russell Westbrook left the game early with an ankle injury. More on that and a situation involving a Philly fan later on in the show. In Major League Baseball, the Orioles were still in Minnesota, still trying to snap a losing streak. Drill to center. Mullins going back. Gone! A three-run home run for Miguel Sano. His third in 11 at-bats against Jorge Lopez. The call on Bally Sports North, 3-2 the final. Twins win on the back of that three-run bomb by Miguel Sano in the sixth inning. Trey Mancini hit a solo homer for the O's, who have lost nine straight games overall. And they have lost 15 straight games to Minnesota, uh, dating back to the 2018 season. In Pittsburgh, the Pirates were trying to snap a losing streak of their own, and like the Orioles, they didn't do it. That ball's drilled out towards left center field, going back, Reynolds back some more, out of here! David Bodie puts a charge into one. A two-run homer, and the Cubs jump out front to zip. The call on the Marquee Sports Network, 4-1 the final. Cubs win to hand Pittsburgh its fifth straight loss. Chris Bryant had three hits and drove in two for Chicago. Former Pirate Trevor Williams struck out seven in six innings to get the win. Eric Gonzalez drove in the only run for the Bucks with an RBI single. And in Washington, the game between the Reds and Nationals was postponed after four innings by rain, uh, with the Nats leading three to nothing. The game will be resumed today at two o'clock. And then once that's finished up, the regular scheduled game will be played later at 7.05. Of course, catch that game uh, right here on this very station. I don't know what that, boy, I was laughing. I don't know what that even, it's not even even a real word. What am I doing here? And in high school baseball, Moorfield scored eight runs 
in the third inning of both ends of a doubleheader against Frankfurt to sweep the twin bill 15 to 3 and 13 to 2 both games lasted just 5 innings because of the mercy rule the yellow jackets pounded out 21 hits and took advantage of 8 errors in the double dip jaden moore went 4 for 6 with 3 rbi over both games for morefield uh, brady Whitaker had 3 hits including 2 doubles for frankfurt and that is your rock around the region brought to you by the caporelli group and I got to tell you something. A lot of times, uh, people in the sports talk industry, especially in the you know the bigger uh, big city markets, a lot of the times they are <clears throat> accused, criticized for wanting the home teams to lose because there is this belief, this notion that. A losing team, the na- the negativity that surrounds it, it's easier to talk about. Like it draws ratings. Like people, I don't know if you want to say it's more fun, or and people enjoy it more. But it's easier to rant and complain about a team that's not doing well, rather than praise a team that is doing well. So. A lot of folks, and I've seen it. If you go on the socials enough, you see it happen all the time. Somebody will call out a a sports talk host or accuse them of, oh, you just want the team to lose. You're happy the team's losing because you can come up here and and you can go on the air and you can rip them and you can, you know, do all this. And so, so you're openly rooting for the team to lose because it makes for a better show. I'm here to tell you something. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because having to sit here (laughs) day in and day out here recently and just talk about loss after loss after loss is brutal. What did I just say? The Orioles, they've lost nine in a row. The Pirates have lost five in a row. The Nationals have been scuffling along, although they actually were winning last night before the game was postponed. The Wizards lost last night. The Penguins lost last night. The Capitals got eliminated on Sunday. It sucks talking about teams that constantly lose. Yes, it does make it a bit easier (laughs) to complain about them. Because trust me, I will complain about the Penguins here in just a bit. But it's hard, and I always talk about this uh, with the Pirates broadcasters. Like any time I'm sitting at home and I'm watching the game with Mrs. C and Little C, watching the Pirates, and Greg Brown has been there forever. He just, I don't know how you do it. Like I don't know how you trudge to the ballpark each and every day if you're, you know, if you're calling games for the Pirates or the Orioles or like any any perennial bad team, I know you're getting paid to do a job, and I even I can I guess I have to say, if you're doing play by play for a crappy team, I have to say I think it's still a pretty cool job. But to go in there day in and day out and call games for a team that just is awful, I can't imagine. It's got to be difficult, right? It's it's got to be. 
But even last night, after the Penguins lost, we flipped over to the Pirates game. Why? I don't know. And something happened. I can't remember what it was. But Greg Brown just made the simplest play sound like it was like like the game-clinching out of Game 7 of a World Series. Like anything he can do. Oh, I know. Okay, they were talking. It was one play. He did that on a pop fly. But then there was another time they were talking about waffles. And Michael McHenry, the former catcher for the Pirates, who now does uh, studio work, and he does uh, uh, color analyst analysis, whatever you want to call it, uh, for the Pirates, talking about some kind of vanilla and caramel waffles. So they're, they're talking about waffles in the middle of a base. That's where, it, when it comes to, my, my son was like, but anything to try to keep people entertained, right? Any, And it's the truth. When you are sitting there and, and the team's losing and it's down the dumps and the future is bleak, you talk about anything to keep people, to keep you know viewers or listeners engaged, maybe laugh, be entertaining, because what else are you going to do? And to sit in the big chair here and just every day talk about loss after loss after loss after loss. It's a bunch of bull is what it is. Now, obviously, things change during football season. The Ravens are successful. The Steelers are successful. Washington had a good season last year. College football, we got teams to talk about that win. It's fun to talk about winning, right? It's, it's, It's fun to talk about success. It was a couple days ago. It was earlier in the week where every single team that played lost. Like when I went through the rock around the region, every it was like five games and they all lost. It might have been Sunday when the Caps got eliminated. Maybe the Nationals would have won last night if the game wasn't postponed. But this notion that we openly root for our teams to lose so we can sit here and, and rant and go off the rails. I, I I don't buy that. It's no fun talking about losing. Anyway. So uh let's see, let's get into the wizards now. Before we go to break, we'll probably go both ends there of the break with the wizards. Game one of the series, wizards were competitive, right? Trailed by five, late, had a chance, but ultimately lost the game. Last night, game two, they were anything but competitive. Sixers roll to that 25-point win. They take their first 2-0 series lead since 2003, if you can believe that. After scoring just six points in the Sixers' game one win, Ben Simmons Really good bounce-back game for him. 22 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, and a block. And after the game, Simmons spoke with uh, the crew on TNT. You know, I saw things open up. I realized who was guarding me. I had, you know, a mismatch early in the post. So, you know, when I saw that, I was just trying to take it to the post. 
Yeah, and you definitely had that going early on. But talk about your defense as well because Bradley Beal started getting going. I noticed you went over there and started trying to guard him. He hit a couple of shots, but you still did a good job of slowing him down in the second half. Yeah, he's not going to be stopped. Um, but if I can make it tough for him, you know, I'm just going to try and do my job and, and do that. Um, a lot of respect to him. He's an incredible scorer. So, you know, we got, we got a few more games to go. So hopefully we can, you know, lock this down. Can we look for you to be this aggressive? offensively on a nightly basis. I know people talk about the offense. I'm not worried about the shooting. I love seeing you start the game off with that mindset of, I'm a 6'10 guard. There's nothing you little dudes can do for me, do with me. Yeah, I think you have a great point. I think I got to keep doing that and continue to do that. Um, game one, you know, I was able to get my teammates a lot of shots. Tobias Harris was killing. Joel was killing. Um, obviously tonight, you know, Joel had a lot of more attention. Tobias had a lot more attention on them. So um, I saw a lot more opportunities for me to score. Then last question, what do you guys have to do to have this type of effort roll into game three? We got to bring more. We got to bring more, um, especially, you know, playing away. Uh, it's going to be a lot tougher, but uh, you know, I think we're capable. Uh, that was not TNT, by the way. I have another clip later from TNT. That was, I do believe, NBC Sports uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Doc Rivers actually uh, scolded Philly fans who had the audacity to criticize Simmons after uh, his game one effort, saying, quote, if you guys don't know the treasure you have by now, then shame on everyone because he's been fantastic for us, end quote. He, he was good last night. Again, good bounce-back game. Now, Rivers should have been scolding Philly fans for something else last night, but we'll get to that here in just a bit. Bradley Beal, another great game for the Wizards. What else is new? 33 points, but he's about the only one who showed up. Team, <laughs> this is incredible. They made just two of 22 three-point shots. That's 9.1%. That's the second worst three-point percentage in NBA playoff history. 9.1%. And they shot just 40% overall. So now they go back home, down 0-2. Game three is Saturday. Maybe they have better luck. It's hard to tell which Wizards team shows up. Again, the one who was competitive in Game 1 or the one who got blown out last night. You would have to think they would play better at home, have the home crowd, the home energy behind them. And as we always talk about, it's not a series until somebody loses at home. I think it's pretty clear-cut. If they lose Saturday, the series is over. If they fall behind 3-none, forget about it. But they win on Saturday. They're right back into the series, 2-1, to one, and then and we go from there. Now, the big question heading into Saturday will be the health of Russell Westbrook. He left last night's game early with an ankle injury. Uh, before he left, he had 10 points and 11 assists. And now we got to wait and see. We have to wait and see uh, about his status. I, I don't even think I have to say it. If he can't play Saturday, the odds of the Wizards winning uh, go way down. I complain a little bit about the two-day break between games in the NBA playoffs. Sometimes there's a one-day break. Sometimes there's a two-day break. This Now we have a two-day break. All right, Game was last night, Thursday off, Friday off, Game 3 Saturday. That could actually benefit Washington. That's about maybe the one time you won't complain about a two-day break 
because depending on the uh, severity of Westbrook's injury, maybe the extra day will help and help him get back on the floor in time to play uh, Game Three on Saturday. So as I said, as he was, you know, as he left before he left, ten points and eleven assists. As he was leaving, something happened involving a Philly fan, which had Westbrook one. <laughs> that ankle didn't hurt all of a sudden. He was trying to go after somebody. We'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN. Oh, no. Wrong one again. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. It's going to take a while for me to completely get adjusted to going from what it used to be to simply WCMD. So uh, bear with me. Uh, we're talking about the Wizards' loss, uh, game two to the Sixers last night. 120 to 95, just a bad game all around for Washington. Things got worse in the fourth quarter as uh, Russell Westbrook, who struggled all night, I think he was only two of 10 from the field, he injured his right ankle and he left the game with about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. As he is being helped down the tunnel by some uh, Wizards staff, some. Knuckle-dragging mouth breather, some moron, some fan, if you want to even call him that, at the Wells Fargo Center, uh, dumped popcorn on Westbrook as they were going down the tunnel. And Westbrook lost his mind. He he had to be restrained by some Wizards staff, by some security there at the arena. He was he was incensed. He was furious. And, and you know, I, I saw some idiots on Twitter say, oh, woo, it was only popcorn. If that's your take on it, then that, you missed the point. You, I don't care if it was popcorn, cotton candy, juju fruit. Do they even sell those anymore? At ball? I don't even know. You don't dump something on somebody else's head in that situation, or any situation for that matter. Now, the fan, I will say this much. There there were no lack of people sitting around that section. They were very quick to point this person out. If you watch the video, they did not hesitate. They're like, whoop, right there. There's your culprit. And security found him and ejected that moron uh, shortly after the incident happened. Now, this is not the first time. Something has gone down in Philadelphia. I know. I'm just as shocked as you are. And this isn't the first time something's happened to Westbrook. There seems to be a pattern here. When he goes places, fans just seem like they want to take their liberties. That they think it's just okay. Four years ago, there was a fan sitting courtside in Philadelphia who was ejected for giving Westbrook the double barrel salute, giving him the finger. A couple years ago, it was in Utah, right? When Westbrook was still with uh, OKC, there was a fan who was banned after getting into a verbal altercation with Westbrook while he was on the bench. This seems to fall. I don't know why. I don't know why. But this kind of behavior just seems to follow Westbrook last night just being the latest example. Some chooch. Tossing popcorn 
on Westbrook's head as he was walking down the tunnel or limping down the tunnel. And afterwards, Westbrook was just like, man, enough is enough. Let me be honest, man, this is getting out of hand, uh, especially for me. The amount of disrespect, the amount of just fans is doing whatever the they want to do. It's just it's out of pocket, man. It's out of pocket, seriously. Like, in the other setting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for the fans enjoying the game and having fun. And, you know, it's part of sports. I get it. Uh, but there are certain things that cross the line. Uh, and any other setting, I know for a fact that fans, and they wouldn't come up. A guy wouldn't come on the street and pour popcorn on my head because he know what happened. A guy wouldn't come up to me and talk mess about my kids and my family on the street because the response would be different. In these arenas, you got to start protecting the players, man. Yeah, and, he, and he's not wrong. And it, it's funny. Not funny, haha, but you know, we've been talking about this uh here recently on this very show about terrible and poor uh fan behavior. That for whatever reason, fans just think because they bought a ticket that they can go to NBA game, major league baseball game, whatever, and just say and do whatever they want. Like they are just in this protective bubble. And that, and they can just, eh, well, we'll throw popcorn, throw beer, we'll cuss at players, talk about their mamas, to, you know, give them the bird. Like, what, what the hell's wrong with these people? And and Westbrook also went on to say yesterday, he says that he takes it personal. And that he says, quote, I am tired of the same thing. To me, I don't really see nothing changing. It just gets worse, end quote. And I, I gave you my situation or not, my solution to the whole thing. And head coach Scott Brooks pretty much said it last night as well. You got to you start banning these people for life. Like, I don't know what else you could do. If you want to try to, you know, stop this ridiculous behavior. You know, and Brooks said that whoever this person was who threw the popcorn should be banned from the league. Why why those measures aren't already put in place, I have no idea. There's simply no place for that. There isn't. And why fans think it's perfectly okay to do stuff like that, I'll never understand. I'll never understand it because Westbrook is right. In no other setting would you do that. And no, you wouldn't walk up to Russell, or Russell Westbrook in a bar and throw popcorn on them, or give them the finger, because you know what's going to happen. You're not walking out of that place under your own power. You're, get, you're probably getting wheeled out. But for whatever reason, people go to these games, and they just think, oh, it's just it's a free-for-all. I paid my ticket. I paid my money. That, that mindset just baffles me. And again, I would and I said this as we talked about this, I think it was last week, I would bet my house that alcohol is involved because people who can't handle their alcohol, people who turn into stupid drunks, they get all liquored up and they can't control themselves. Bradley Bill called the incident disgusting. Scott Brooks said it's very disrespectful. Philadelphia is better than that. Eh, Maybe. (laughs) I poke fun at Philadelphia because I'm from Pittsburgh. I have to. 
but this isn't the only, you know, this isn't the, the, the first incident in the city of brotherly love involving fans and players. There was a statement released shortly after the incident uh, by the Wells Fargo Center saying, quote, this was classless, unacceptable behavior, and we're not going to tolerate it at Wells Fargo Center. And, and okay, we'll do something about that. Do something about it. Just don't, just don't give a press release. Don't release a statement and say, oh, this is terrible behavior. It won't be tolerated. Do something about it. Whoever the guy was who dumped the popcorn, right, plaster his stupid face and name all over TV. Let everybody know who he is. Shame him to no end and then ban him from ever attending an NBA game for the rest of his life. And so this this way, we're guaranteed to never have to deal with him ever. He can never do that again. And then the next person who wants to step up in line and do something stupid, do the same thing. Any sports, any sport. We've said it more than once on this show. You want to act like an idiot, then we'll treat you like an idiot. If you want to go to a game and do something stupid, then you get what you get. The only I just I watched the video. Uh, it was just yesterday. I don't know exactly where it was from. Well, I know where it was. I don't know when it was. It was a Dodgers fan and a Giants fan getting into just an all-out brawl in the stands. I mean, this Dodgers fan was absolutely wailing on this other fan. And the worst part, there's this little, tiny girl, two years old maybe, sitting a couple seats away, just bawling her eyes out, crying, because I assume that it was Daddy delivering the blows. Great parenting right there, oh, by the way. And, like, the only way you stop stuff like that is you make a statement with these clowns, that you make examples out of these clowns. Say, hey, you want to throw punches in our stadium? You're not coming back. Because, obviously, arrests don't work. Obviously, fines don't work. If if your professional team... And I don't even know if it's up to the team or if it's up to the owner, whoever owns the arenas or the stadiums, right? Whoever is in charge. I don't know who, but somebody's got to step up and take charge and be the first one to say publicly, don't don't handle behind closed doors where nobody can see it, where we don't know the end result. Publicly come out and say, this person did this. It's unacceptable. He or she is, it's usually a he, by the way. Although there was a video a couple days ago of of a couple girls getting in a scrap. I think it was at an Angels game. They're not coming back. If you do this, if you act this way, if you throw punches, if you hurl insults and curse words and middle fingers at players, you are never, for the the entirety of, of, of your life, you're never coming back in this establishment, ever. Let everybody know their name, what they look like. It's the only way it stops. 
I would love nothing more for the 76ers and Wells Fargo Center to make a a perfectly a huge example of this idiot last night. And then make sure he never steps foot in the Wells Fargo Center again or any other NBA arena. It's the only way it's going to stop. It's the only way. I just and Westbrook has every right to be PO'd. Every single right. I, I just don't I don't get it. I know we sit here and we criticize professional ball players. Sometimes for the way they act, sometimes for the way they carry themselves, sometimes for the way they play, for things they say, but they're still people. They're still people. And nobody's to be subjected to that kind of garbage from idiot fans who simply don't know how to be adults, who don't know how to go to a game and act like civilized human beings. Nobody should be subjected to that. I don't care how much the ticket costs. All right. One more break, and we'll come back to wrap up our number one. Stick around. Let's see if I get it right this time. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Last night, some knucklehead, assuming it's a Sixers fan, dumping popcorn on Russell Westbrook as he was leaving the game with an injury. And again, the only way to deter that is to just start kicking people out. Make a public spectacle of these idiots. I don't know what else to call them. I really don't. I'm not. I know it's harsh, but what else? If you go to a sporting event event, and you get into a fist fight or you flip players off or you get into a shouting match or you dump something on a player's head, you're an idiot. Like That's, that's the only word I can you're You are unfit to be out in public. There's something seriously wrong with you. You know, it's just examples of fans taking these sports just way too seriously. Taking their fandom and their support of their team way too seriously. You're an idiot. That's it. All right, there were other games last night. Oh, by the way, another fan base really excited about uh, finally getting a playoff win. First one, as a matter of fact. In eight years. Rose shaking into the lane. Step back at the foul line. Front rim. Gets the row. All going down for Derrick Rose. Now with 24. Knicks lead by three. The Knicks. A 101-92 victory over the Hawks in game two of their first round series. They tie this series at 1-1. The Knicks' first playoff win since game five of the 2013 Conference semifinals. You should have seen this scene last night. People literally flooded the streets after the Knicks won a first round. It looked like they just won the the NBA championship. You know how people get, you know, their team wins and they flood the streets and they celebrate and chaos ensues. (laughs) It was one game in the first round and people went nuts. The long-suffering Knicks fan, finally uh, something to celebrate. Derrick Rose, the veteran, off the bench, 
26 points. The Knicks were actually down by 13 at halftime. Derrick Rose comes out and starts the second half and goes off. He actually played a team-high 39 minutes off the bench and gets the job done, brings the Knicks back, and they get that victory and the Rose with the guys on the TNT after the game. Oh, man, I've been dreaming about this moment for a long time. In the past, people said I couldn't play the minutes. They were worried about it, but um, I knew all along how much hard work I put into it. Like I said, you could, I'd be on, in practice, I'd be on my feet for two hours. So you tell me I can't play like 30 minutes in a game with the way that I changed, the way that I played. So um, uh, I'm happy with my um, endurance. Um, I'm happy that we got the win tonight, too. Um, took a lot out of it. Well, number one, uh, Derek, you played fantastic tonight, and you've had a great season. Thank you. When, when did Coach Tibbs say, hey, man, I'm going to ride you. I'm switching this thing up because this is a must win. When he, what did, right after halftime he said that to you? Man, he said it right in front of the whole team. I didn't know it. Um, he just said I, I was starting, so I had to come out here 32 years old, so you got warm-up kind of different at halftime, bro. So um, came out here, tried to get ready, um, just tried to push the ball as much as possible, um, get guys open, but um, they, they wasn't doubling me, so I was able to get into the lane and, and, and try to get easy shots. Am I the only one that's shocked that Derrick Rose is only 32? It seems like he's been in the league for 25 years. When he, when he said he was 32, I was like, ah, that can't be right. He's got to be 40. That's what, that's what it feels like. But he comes up big. Comes up big, gets the Knicks to victory, and again, that series is tied at 1-1. Another series tied at 1-1 out west. The top-seeded Jazz rebounds from that upset loss in game one to the Grizz. The Jazz win last night, 141 to 129. Donovan Mitchell, who was held out of game one, even though he was cleared to play by the medical staff, he was held out of the game. He kind of voices frustrations on uh, Twitter. That's what, that's what players do these days. Back in the lineup last night, 25 points, team high 25 uh, for Utah. Conley had 20. Rudy Gobert, 21. So the Jazz bouncing back from that first, you know, not, not first round, first game upset to tie the series at one game apiece. Tonight, what's on the docket tonight? What's on the slate? Are the LA teams in action? Just one. Okay, tonight we have uh, Bucks and Heat. Milwaukee, a 2 nothing series lead. That series now switches to Miami. Suns and Lakers, that series tied at a game apiece. Game three tonight in L.A. And then the Nuggets and the Trailblazers, that game switching to Portland, that series also tied at a game apiece. Uh, don't forget tonight, some Nationals baseball, the weather permitting, although it's supposed to be a nice day today. The Nats and the Reds wrapping up their three-game series. As a matter of fact, last night's game postponed after the fourth inning because of rain. The Nats lead that game 3-0. They'll finish that game today at 2 o'clock. That will not be on uh, on the air. But then the nightcap, the regularly scheduled game, will be on uh, at 7.05. Pre-game at uh, 6.35. So there you go. Let me see who's starting for tonight uh, for the Nats. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Strasburg. 
All right. We got a nice little matchup there. Sonny Gray uh, versus uh, Strasburg tonight. As the Nationals continue uh, their nine-game homestand, they won the first three games against the Orioles. But then again, who doesn't win the first three games against the Orioles? Lost the first game to the Reds. They have the lead in game two. So we'll see. The Nationals still, you know, and I talked earlier in the hour about how hard it is to constantly talk about teams losing. The Nationals, out of the three teams we cover the most, Nationals, Orioles, and Pirates, they still have a chance to turn things around. They're not as terrible as the other two. I guess that's <laughs> if, that, if that's the high mark, not being as bad as the Orioles and Pirates, I guess you'll take it. But the Nats still hovering around. They're only four games under 500. Still plenty of time to turn. Maybe there's hope for at least one Major League Baseball team in our region. The Nats trying to make some hay during this nine-game homestand. 20 and 24, but still only three games out of first place in the NL East. All right, our number one in the books, our number two around the corner doing push-ups. When we come back, rock around the region, and we'll talk about the Penguins' first-round failures again. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Speaking of the NBA playoffs, let's get it started with a rock around the region. And uh, quite frankly, the 76ers weren't messing around with the Wizards in game two of their first round series. Down the floor, Simmons getting by Neto, plays it back to Bias, faking on Westbrook, around one man, jumps it back to Benny, Simmons finds a gap to Embiid, three-point shot in the air, it's gone, Embiid with his third three, and the Sixers are blowing out the Washington Wizards. The call on 97-5, the Fanatic 120-95, the final. As the Sixers blow out the Wizards to take a 2-0 lead in the series, it's the Sixers' first 2-0 lead in a playoff series since 2003. Uh, Bradley Beal had 33 points for Washington. Russell Westbrook, only 2 of 10 from the field. 10 points, 11 assists, left the game late in the, actually early in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury. Then there was the incident with the uh, Philly fan who dumped popcorn on Westbrook's head. He wasn't happy. Uh, Nobody was happy. The fan was ejected and hopefully uh, banned for life. In Major League Baseball, the Orioles were in Minnesota trying to snap an eight-game losing streak. Drill to center. Mullins going back. Gone! A three-run home run for Miguel Sano. His third in 11 at-bats against Jorge Lopez. The call on Bally Sports North, 3-2 the final. Twins win on the back of that three-run bomb by Miguel Sano in the sixth inning. Trey Mancini had a solo homer for the O's, who have now lost nine straight overall. They have lost 15 straight games to Minnesota dating back to the 2018 season. In Pittsburgh, the Pirates were trying to snap a losing streak of their own, and like the Orioles, uh, they didn't do it. That ball's drilled out towards left center field. Going back, Reynolds back some more. Out of here! David Bodie puts a charge into one. A two-run homer, and the Cubs jump out front to zip. The call on Marquee Sports Network 4-1 the final. Cubs win to hand Pittsburgh its fifth straight loss. Chris Bryant had three hits and drove in two for Chicago. Former Pirate Trevor Williams struck out seven in six innings to get the win. Eric Gonzalez drove in the only run for the Bucks 
with an RBI single. And in Washington, the game between the Reds and Nationals was postponed after four innings by rain, with the Nats leading 3-0. That game will be resumed and hopefully finished today at 2 o'clock, and then the regularly scheduled game will be played later tonight at 7.05. Catch that game right here on this very station. In high school baseball, Moorfield scored eight runs in the third inning of both ends of a doubleheader against Frankfurt, swept the twin bill 15-3 and 13-2. Both games only lasted five innings. The Yellow Jackets pounded out 21 hits and took advantage of eight errors in the double dip. Jaden Moore, 4-4-6, with three RBI over both games for Moorfield. Uh, Brady Whitaker had three hits including two doubles for Frankfurt. And in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Penguin season is over. Behind the outer net, three, two, one, the horn sounds, and the New York Islanders beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 5-3 in game six. They take the series in six. They have their first Coliseum clincher in 28 years, and they are on to round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs to battle the Boston Bruins. The call, in case you couldn't tell, uh, on the Islanders radio network, 5-3 the final. Islanders take the series in six games to hand the Penguins their third straight first-round exit. New York scored three goals in a span of 2 minutes and 59 seconds in the second period to take the lead for good. Jeff Carter, Jason Zucker, and Jake Gensel had goals for Pittsburgh. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you once again by the Caporelli Group. And that's where uh, we're going to continue the show with the Penguins. And I said yesterday as we previewed the game that should the Penguins lose, which they did, there are going to be a lot of questions today, which there are. Questions such as, should Mike Sullivan remain head coach of the Penguins? Is Tristan Jari the answer in net for the Penguins? Is it time to break up the nucleus, the core of the Penguins in Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang? I do know this. I think, I don't know for certain, it's my opinion, that there are big changes that come in with the Penguins. There has to be. There has to be. This isn't just a one-season uh, fluke. The Pens are 3-13 and 13 in their last 16 playoff games. Going back to the 2018 season, they have lost four straight playoff series, the last three in the first round. Which... Quite frankly, it just simply isn't good enough. Not for a team that still has a ton of talent. And it's not like they were terrible in this series against the Islanders. They controlled big chunks of each game. for the, They had one really bad game where it just seemed like they weren't interested. But for the better part of the six games, they played like they were the better team. Like, they're the more talented team. But they still come out on the losing end. I mean, they for the series, 
they outshot the Islanders 241 to 197. They had the shot advantage in five of the six games. They had a ton of scoring chances. It's not like they were horrible like they were last year against Montreal and the year before that when they got swept by the Islanders in four games. You can call it bad luck. You could call it the Islanders taking advantage of opportunities, which they did. And I thought somebody put it very well on Twitter the other day where it seemed like the Penguins would score a goal after just dominating like a 10-minute stretch. But then the Islanders would score because a Penguin would make just a comically bad mistake. That's what it seemed like. And that was the most frustrating part, one of the most frustrating parts of the series, is the Penguins just seemed to dominate long stretches and had nothing to show for it. Or as soon as they scored, the Islanders would just find a way. Because they had far fewer shots, they had far fewer chances, but it just it just seemed like the right place, right time, right goal, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Just very opportunistic. Man, you look at last night. The Penguins scored first. Jeff Carter scored, make it one nothing. You're like, all right, here we go. Penguins look really, really good. Islanders, their first shot of the game goes in, and it's 1-1. First shot of the game. <laughs> first shot of the game. You look at game five when the Penguins dominated the first 19 minutes of the first period. And they led 1-0, and then they make a mistake, and it's 1-1 going into the first intermission. And the whole series seemed like that. After the game, head coach Mike Sullivan, who may not be head coach for much longer, said that he he thought his team played well. I felt like we played pretty well for a lot of the series. You know, it, it, it certainly wasn't from a lack of scoring chances, of scoring opportunities. Uh, you know, we're, we're obviously playing against a tough opponent. We're in close games. So uh, five of the six games that we played, we felt we felt really good about our team game. And so, um, you know, there was one of them that we would have liked we would have liked a better effort, but uh, for the most part, there, there was there was a lot of good hockey being played on both sides. You know, that's the nature of uh, playoff hockey. Man, it wasn't a poorly played series, except for one position in particular, which we'll get to in just a bit. Jeff Carter, who was really good for the Penguins, he had four goals in the series. He led all players, both sides, in goals with four. He was a great acquisition from the Kings at the trade deadline. Very good. And after the game, he said, hey, I thought we played pretty well. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought we played, uh, for the most part, I thought we played some really good hockey. We uh, um, we couldn't capitalize on some of our chances, uh, you know, throughout the series. Give them a lot of credit. They uh, And they've done it for years. They, they play a very structured game, a very simple game and patient game. And when they get uh, when they get opportunities, they, they capitalize on them. And that's that's how they win games. And. Um, you know, they played a heck of a series as well. Uh, you know, it could have went either way, to be honest with you. That's how I feel. So if the Islanders played well and the Penguins played well, then what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Tristan Jari happened. The goaltending for the Penguins 
in a word, terrible. The goaltending for the Islanders, in a word, fantastic, at least from one guy. I mean, the Penguins had trouble getting the puck past uh, Ilya Sorokin. He was 4-0 in the series, right? The only two games the Islanders lost was with Varlamov in net. And then when the Penguins finally got three goals past Sorokin yesterday, you're like, all right, this is they finally breaking through. They allow five. Jari allows five, including three in three minutes. When the Islanders, when they took a 5-3 lead in the second period, the Islanders had five goals on 17 shots. That's miserable. Now, look, all of them weren't Jari's fault. But it goes back to game five when he made made that boneheaded mistake. He made that, as I I saw somebody put it, a Bill Buckner-esque mistake in overtime. Turned the puck over, and then he allowed the winning goal. He was terrible in game one. Goaltending, more than anything else, was a difference in this series. Sorokin was good. Jari, for the most part, if he wasn't slightly above average, he was terrible. Still after the game, when Mike Sullivan was asked about the goaltending, I he, he just wouldn't go there. Listen, you, you, you win games as a group. You're, you win games as a team, you lose games as a team. It's not any one position. It's not any one person's fault. Everybody's doing their best to try to, to try to be part of the solution. And there's, there's a number of things that go on throughout the course of games. We could all be better. We all have to find ways to, to have success through this. We got to support one another through the process, and that's how we look at it. So he's not going to come out and say, you know, our goaltender was bad. It's it's the same old coach speak. Well, we win as a team, we lose as a team. It's a team effort, and you can't put all the blame on Tristan Jari, but you could put a whole heaping bunch of it on goaltending. When you look at the games and you break them down, the way both teams played, the Penguins lost this series because of sub subpar goaltending. That's it. That's the main reason, not the only reason, but that's the main reason. If they had better goaltending, they win the series. They just didn't get it. Jari just, he looked off. I mean, you even look at the first goal that the Islanders scored. Or, I'm sorry, it was the second goal. It was off of just a juicy rebound. Like, the, like the initial shot, Jari was, he, he looked like he was surprised by it. Like, he was shocked that somebody actually shot the puck at him. Because he, he was, he like, he jumped. He's like, oh, what, what, huh? That's a puck coming at me. And then the Islanders buried the rebound. And, and it's just when the Penguins needed him to come up big, he did not. He failed miserably. The Penguins had three leads last night. one nothing, 2-1, and 3-2. And then in that second period, it just fell apart. And one of the most shocking things about that situation is a fact that Sullivan didn't pull him. I know that Casey DeSmith was injured. And I could pretty much, uh, I won't bet the house, but I'll bet a few bedrooms that if DeSmith was healthy, he would have started last night instead of Jari. But you have uh, Maxime Legacy, the backup. He's an older backup. He's like 28 years old. Not a whole lot of experience. Which may have been why Sullivan was hesitant to make a move. 
But it was clear to anybody watching that Jari wasn't going to get it done. Why he wasn't pulled after the third goal, the fourth goal, the fifth goal, I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Here's a guy, Mike Sullivan, in case you don't follow Penguins history, whenever it was you know Flurry and Murray, Sullivan would pull Flurry as soon as he broke a sweat. Like as soon as he let one bad rebound, he couldn't wait to pull Flurry and put Matt Murray because Matt Murray was his boy. Sullivan is loyal to a fault when it comes to his players, especially his goaltenders. Why he didn't pull Jari last night when most other coaches would have is beyond me. It's inexcusable because legacy couldn't have been worse. I don't care about experience. I don't care about – it couldn't have been worse than what Jari was last night. There's no good reason why you didn't make the goaltending switch right there. Not after they scored three times in three minutes. But like I said, Jari, not the only problem. How about Sidney Crosby, the great Sidney Crosby, who scored a whopping two points in the series? One goal, which was in game one, and an assist. That's it. And people can talk all they want about, oh, uh, Crosby still does some great things that don't show up on the score sheet. That's true. But you're supposed to be the best player on the team. You're supposed to be still one of the best players on the planet, man, you got, you got you need more than two points in a six-game series. He's got to shoulder some of the blame. Malkin wasn't look, Malkin missed the first two games of the series because of an injury. He still ended up with five points in four games. Pretty decent. Carter played well, four goals. McCann was useless. Jared McCann has zero goals in 12 playoff games with the Penguins. I don't know why he's still around. Gensel finally scored last night. That was his first goal of the entire series. He, (laughs) Jake Gensel had more shots on goal than any other player in the series and had one goal. So there's plenty of blame to go around. And when you all, when you add it all up, it's just another, and we talk about this with the Capitals, same thing with the Penguins, another disappointing first round exit. The third straight year they've gone out in the first round. Sidney Crosby, as I mentioned, he wasn't very good. And he says uh, to end a season like this, as you can imagine, disappointing. Well, I think it's just, it's it's disappointment. It's, um, you know, you don't, it's not guaranteed to make the playoffs. I mean, we've been fortunate that we've been there a lot, but every time you get to play in the playoffs, it's an opportunity and, um, it really is the best time of the year. So you want to be, you want to be in it. You want to play for a long time. You want to compete for the Stanley Cup. So it's never a good feeling when you lose. But I think, uh, like I said earlier, with the way that we played leading to the playoffs and, you know, just uh, I think that we felt good about our group and we thought that uh, we could make a good run. So for it to come to a halt here is, uh, is disappointing. You know what it is. It's the curse of the flower. That's what it is. In case you don't know, that was uh, Mark andre Fleury's nickname in Pittsburgh, the flower. Since he left, they haven't been right. Since he left, since they left him unprotected in the expansion draft and Vegas snatched him up, that team hasn't been right. Since Fleury left, they haven't won a playoff series. It's not a coincidence. 
No, I take it back. They they won one. Excuse me. They won one. Then they've lost four. Now they've lost four straight. It's the curse. I, I talked about with the Capitals. And they let Barry Trotz walk after they won the Cup in 2018. The curse of the Trots. The Penguins have the curse of the flower. Their fortunes, the outcomes, would be much different if they still had Marc-Andre Fleury in net the past three, four years. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Convinced of it. But Fleury leaves. Then it's Matt Murray's net, and he's terrible. They traded him to Siberia. Ottawa, actually. Tristan Jari's the heir apparent, and Jari's terrible. He still has two years and seven mil left on his contract. He may have played himself out of Pittsburgh this playoff series. That's how bad he was. It's the curse of the flower. A team is talented. I understand that Malkin and Crosby and them, they're there on their last legs. The, the window is closed. The window started to slide shut when Flurry left town. And it's been slowly sliding more and more shut the past two, three years. Because of one guy. I'm convinced it's one guy. I can't, you can't tell me otherwise that if Flurry was still here, they wouldn't have won a couple series. If Flurry was still in net, they would they would have beat the Islanders in this this last series. I'm I'm I guarantee it. One thing you need more than anything else in the playoffs. Is goaltending. And the Penguins didn't get it. And that's why they're going home. Again. Again. Something has to give. I told you big changes are coming. Right? They got a new general manager in Ron Hextall. Brian Burke is on board. And one thing that, you know, new front office people love to do is bring in their own guys. Hextall and Burke will not be happy about this first-round playoff exit. They are going to make changes. What those changes are, I don't know. But sometimes the new brass, they like to have their own hires. Mike Sullivan was not a Hextall-Burke hire. Mike Sullivan, as head coach of the Penguins, hasn't produced in the last four years with that talented team. So something's got to give. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying here 100% that Sullivan will get fired, but I would not be shocked if he did. And the Hextall and Burke, they bring in their own guy. Changes are coming in Pittsburgh. They have to. Because three straight first-round exits, not nearly good enough. All right, time for a break. News, weather coming up next. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. The Penguins eliminated last night by the Islanders. 5-3. Isles win the series four games to two. They move on to the second round to face the Bruins, who I hope destroys the Islanders. That's just how I am. Penguins, they are sent home. And they got questions to be answered. That may not have been, oh, by the way, The worst hockey news in Pittsburgh yesterday. This story broke yesterday because the announcement was made yesterday. Robert Morris University. Look, there are three, I guess you want to call them big-time universities. 
in the city of Pittsburgh. You have Pitt, you have Duquesne, and you have Robert Morris. And the one thing, if we're talking athletically, the one thing that Robert Morris could hold over Pitt and Duquesne is ice hockey. Both the men's and women's ice hockey teams, very successful. They made the jump to Division I back in the early uh, 2000s. Both won conference titles. Both made it to the NCAA tournament. Robert Morris actually hosted the Frozen Four, which of course is hockey's version of the Final Four, just last year. So everybody was shocked when Robert Morris announced yesterday that they were dropping the men's and women's hockey teams. Which seemingly caught everybody by surprise because nobody knew it was coming. Like, the the decision came out of nowhere. I'm sorry. The announcement came out of nowhere. Like, Robert Morris, their football team is terrible. It's awful. I don't even think, I think they're like Division Three in football. Basketball, they made one good run this past year, but before that, eh. Like, really, the only thing they had a leg up on the other city university in Pittsburgh was hockey. And hockey is huge in western Pennsylvania. Hockey has exploded in western PA over the last couple decades. So the one shining light in Robert Morris's athletic department <laughs> was just snuffed out. Players, coaches, just beside themselves. I mean, the, the the outrage, if you went on the socials yesterday after the announcement, people were just beside themselves. Coaches didn't see it coming. Players didn't see it coming. Alumni didn't see it coming. And this comes like just after six weeks after the college hockey season came to an end. So now you got players with nowhere to play. Several players from Canada who went to Robert Morris just to play hockey. Now they got to enter, you know, they got to enter the transfer portal. Got coaches without jobs now. And this release sent out by Robert Morris just Good luck trying to decipher it. This this is the first paragraph. This was an email released by uh, Robert Morris. It was released uh, to the the media with a subject heading that read, RMU charts strategic course headed into a centennial year. Here's the first paragraph. Robert Morris University announced today it will no longer field NCAA Division I men's and women's ice hockey teams as part of a series of strategic initiatives intended to position the university to be amongst the most agile and professionally focused schools in the nation as it prepares for its upcoming 100th anniversary, end quote. I remember that paragraph about six, seven times. 
I have no idea what the hell it means. Series of strategic initiatives to make them agile. Because that's what I think of when I think of universities, agility. The press release, if you want to get a little deeper into it, and we're going to have somebody on the show Monday to talk more about this. Because it's, it's really, it's just, it's almost like on a much bigger, it's almost like uh, West Virginia announcing that it's dropping football. That That's how much the, the hockey programs m- meant to Robert Morris University. And I, I, don't make, I don't say that lightly. That, that's what it felt like. It's a decision that nobody knows why it was made. Although, if you look deeper, it's probably about money. The, the press release also went on to uh, brag about its new Center for Equity and Professional Advancement because of a $500,000 donation. So you're going to brag about a, a Center for Equity in the same press release that you just dumped the women's hockey team. Just trying to <laughs> just trying to make sense of that. Somebody called this move absolutely criminal. I just don't understand it. it it's got to be it's got to be money. I know they just they just made a, a new uh, sports complex. They got one hundred million dollar sports complex that did not include a new hockey rink or a new arena. You know. Uh, the basketball team gets a new complex, right? The football team, the two programs that are awful. And the hockey team was left out in the cold, no pun intended. But again, we'll talk about it more. We got a guy coming on Monday from Pittsburgh who is around the area, who knows the pucks. And we'll we'll get into and this it's again, it, it's a, a mind-boggling decision by a university who based this decision. Mostly on money. They dumped their two most successful Division I programs for money. To be become to become more agile. <laughs> Here's somebody on Twitter. Completely sickened with the lack of support or communication to alumni. Two programs that were the strong suit of the university with continued lack of support while the entire university's identity stands on one first-round NIT win. Speaking, of course, about the basketball team. What a joke. What an absolute joke. I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why. Again, we're, we're, we're talking strictly in athletic terms here. If you want a better, I don't know about the education of Robert Moores, but if we're talking about academics, you're going to go to Pitt. Right? I mean, that's... I think that would be a no-brain. We're talking strictly athletically. The greatest draw to your university, you just dumped. Both men's and women's. I can't figure it out. Again, we'll talk about it more on Monday when we have uh, Adam Bittner on. It's a move that's going to kill that university athletically. Because who cares about Robert Moore's football and basketball? Seriously. All right, uh, last break. We'll come back to wrap up the show. 
Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's. Dang, I did it again. Cumberland's WCMD, how about that? This is the Morning Rush. Uh, before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. As soon as I can find it here. Oh, great. The sun is right in the monitor. Where is my cursor? There it is. How about the player who delivered past tense time and time again throughout his career uh, which is now over. Adam Vinatieri, 48-yard field goal attempt. Set to go. Snap ball down. Kick up. Kick is on the way. And it is good! It's good! It's good! Adam Vinatieri booms a 48-yard field goal. And the game is over. And the Patriots are Super Bowl champions. The Patriots are Super Bowl champions. The best team in the National Football League. Adam Vinatieri, the NFL's all-time leading scorer, announced his retirement yesterday after 24 seasons with the Patriots and Colts. Vinatieri retires with 2,673 points and an NFL record 599 field goals. He made 29 game-winning field goals in his career, including three with the Patriots in the Tuck Rule game in the blizzard against the Raiders, and in Super Bowls 36 and 38. No kicker has more Super Bowl rings than Vinatieri's four. Three with New England and one with Indianapolis. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. Because of his records, his all-time points lead, his 29 game-winning field goals to celebrate his career a day after his retirement, Adam Vinatieri, the player who delivered Time and time again, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Reminder tonight, Nationals baseball. Game three against the Reds of that three-game series. A pregame 635, a first pitch at 705. Talked about this briefly yesterday as we wrap things up here. And I saw this tweet. It was from a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, in Alabama, Great Hope High School in Alabama from uh, it's Patrick McDonald. And it was just a, a, a general tweet, generic tweet. It wasn't really based on any kind of story or anything like that, on how high school coaches should have year-round contracts, 11-month, 12-month contracts. I wasn't quite sure how it works now. So I reached out to a high school coach. I won't say who it is. I told him I wouldn't say his name to see how things work. And he said, basically, coaches are contracted for the season, which, he said, makes him laugh. He said, yeah, some coaches basically don't do anything in the offseason. He said, but if you're doing it right, you got postseason stuff, you know, like banquets and uniform turn-in and whatnot. But then what really happens is after the season. You got to run the weight room in the spring and the summer. You know, you get home late from practices. You got recruiting. You you set up recruiting to help your kids go to college. He says the, the hours are absolutely ridiculous. But that's but that's what it, this is what he says here. The hours are ridiculous, but that what is that's what's expected, and they get it for free. 
He says, heck, he even works over the holidays. So he's saying, yeah, instead of just being contracted for the season, it should be 11 months, 12 months, because it's it's a year-round thing to be a coach. And I follow it up with, because I know every state's different, but I know in West Virginia, like schools can't get rid of a coach based on performance. Like a school or a, a school board, a district, whatever, can't let a coach go because of wins and losses. And so I asked this coach, like, couldn't that change? If you went to an 11-month, you know, 12-month contract, wouldn't that then allow schools to terminate coaches based on performance? And the coach said, yeah, he said, it's true. That, I don't know how they do it in Maryland, but in West Virginia, you can't be fired for performance. But this coach here, who again spoke on the conditions of anonymity, said that there are ways around it if a school really wanted to move on from a coach. But it's kind of a long, drawn-out process. He just says it wouldn't have to be a huge amount of money, just something steady for being a high school coach. Look, coaches don't make a ton of money in high school level. They don't. They're, they're not supporting their families on a high school coach's salary. But then the coach sends me this uh, kind of this chart, this graph from another coach that says, hey, head coaches or those aspiring to be one, come to terms with this, accept it, embrace it, and life gets easier. Basically, it's like a glacier in the water, floating in the water, and or an iceberg, an iceberg. And the tip of the iceberg is just, it says X's and O's. And it says head coaching, what people see. And then it just has above the surface X's and O's. Then underneath the surface, he says, this is what it really is. And it's it's 100% true. You got to deal with alumni, fundraising, logistics, the players, the community, youth, media, recruiting. Technology, finances, fundraising, equipment, culture, parents, staff. There's so much that goes into a co- any level. So much that goes into it that people just don't know. That people just don't understand. And I speak from experience. For most folks fans of a particular team, they put in a couple hours a week during game night. They buy a ticket, they show up, they cheer, they boo, they celebrate, whatever. What do you think is happening the other 160-plus hours of the week? Who do you think's putting the work in? The coaches. So I, I got to side with the coach here and, and, and the coach from Alabama who says that, that – High school coaches should be on a yearly contract, not just for the season. Coach, if, if, if a coach is worth his salt, he doesn't stop working once the season's over. The work never ends. It's, it's constant. There's always something going on. You're always constantly having to work on the program, work on the players, work to better yourself as a coach. It's never ending. People just don't get that. All they see is a small percentage of the work that actually goes into it. All the all the personal time, oh, by the way, 
And again, I speak from experience. All the personal time that's sacrificed, family time, your own personal time, to coach a team. I mean, you know what it is going in. You do. It's not like it's a secret. You know what the conditions are if you want to be a coach, particularly at the high school level. At least at a big-time college in the NFL, you're getting paid a lot of money. You're not even getting that in high school. You're certainly not getting that on a voluntary basis or an auxiliary coach basis. Lord knows. I may have to dig deeper into this. Maybe have a guest on who, who will come on. Now, schools won't want to do it. They won't, want, they won't want to spend the extra money. They won't want to give these 11, 12-month 12 12 contracts. They won't want to do it for their own reasons. But I think more coaches would be willing to stay in because there's, in case you haven't, there's a lot of turnover in high school coaching. There really is. Maybe coaches would want to stick around more if they had a little bit more of an incentive, not just a four or five month contract during the season, but a year round because it's a year round job. Just something to think about. And maybe we'll talk about it more tomorrow. And maybe we'll get into it more if I can get a coach or two on to get their feelings on it. Coaching is hard. To quote Bill Murray from Caddyshack, uh, how about a little something for the effort? All right, show's over. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you as always. See you back here tomorrow for a funky Friday, 6 a.m. Sharp. This is the morning rush. I am Tony C. and I am done. I see you.